0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. Really excited today to have on a longtime friend and elite strength coach to professional athletes. Mr. Clance Laylor is on the show today. He's going to talk about his background as a track and field athlete before he got into strength and conditioning, his work with legends like Charles Poliquin, and how he developed his athlete activation system through years of experience, as well as a lot of trial and error. We're gonna dive into how he helps his athletes build strength and power, the exercise selection, his use of Olympic lifts, sprints, loaded sprints, carries, etc as well as dispelling some common myths around training, especially as it relates to females. So there's a ton of good stuff here in this interview. Um, Coach Clance is a wealth of knowledge and really practical, usable knowledge as well. It's tough to get guys like Clance out of the gym, so you'll actually hear in the first part of the interview uh, some lifters behind him, uh, some barbells hitting the floor, so please bear with a few minutes of that. It actually cleans up as the interview goes. And um, enjoy this interview from one of the elite strength coaches in the business. I'm joined today by Coach Clance Layler, one of the most respected names in professional strength and performance training. He's the founder of the Athlete Activation System, Strength Coaches Certification, a complex, systematically periodized athletic development approach that has maximized the performance of elite athletes from a variety of sports. Clance is one of only four PICP Level 5 master strength coaches in Canada and a secret weapon of top Olympians, competitive athletes, coaches, and driven professionals alike. Clance's reputation as a tough no-nonsense trainer skyrocketed with the success of his young client, P.K. Subban, who trained with Clance from his early days in the OHL through today as a star defenseman of the Nashville Predators, winner of the coveted Norris Trophy and Olympic gold in Sochi as part of Team Canada. Today, Clance trains both executives and Olympic professional and amateur athletes at the LPS Athletic Centre in North York, Ontario and has developed his unique LPS off-season program to help both professional and amateur athletes improve their strength, power, speed, and conditioning between seasons. Coach Clance, thanks so much for taking the time today. Hey, man. Uh, my pleasure. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Well, listen, I've known you for uh, for almost a decade now, I think, and from <laughs> back in your days with Charles Poliquin and then with Laylor Performance. Can you give folks listening in a little bit of a background of you as an athlete and how you got into strength coaching? <sighs> Wow. Wow. Time
1: flies, man. Time flies. Yeah, man. Um, I just, as, as an athlete, I was pretty much obsessed. I was, uh, I ran track, um, uh, trained under George Van Ziel, which was an assistant, uh, track coach for Charlie Francis. So basically I was in a kind of Charlie Francis group. Um, uh, the name back then was called uh, Scarborough optimist and they went to uh, Mazda track so I, I basically lived at York University every day, uh, sprinting. Uh, so, um, you know, I played football, played basketball on the side, but track was my primary sport, got injured playing basketball. Um, that's why I kind of have a, always a little grudge against basketball. So <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I know you work with the national team there. So yeah, but man, uh, I never forget that injury pretty much ripped up my knee pretty good. And and uh, my track career, I was kind of hard-headed back then. I didn't understand, you know, I didn't really have the support system. Um, I I remember I was in, in Indianapolis. I'll never forget this. I was running a uh, four by one, and we, we were pretty much we were ripping up the track. We were way ahead. I caught, I got the baton. I was the anchor leg, coming in, kind of you know showboating, you know, kind of relaxing, and whatever the reason, I hit the uh, the baton fell. And now the, oh, no. f- the stand, there's like I'm like thousands of people in the stands and, and the baton fell and it dropped on the track and my knee went boom, boom. it buckled and I laid oh, no. on the track. I'll never forget that night. It was in Indianapolis, hot, sunny day. And uh, that was it for my track career. And it just kept on, you know, whatever. I tried to come back, but then I kind of took a different path from then. And from from, from injury into uh, you know the passion for strength coaching because yeah, you walk I, I us try, through
0: how that developed
1: yeah I, I i you know i just tried different st- things and nothing never stuck and then one day i was actually working out and i seen this guy um i seen this guy doing uh personal training and i said hey you can actually make money personal training he said yeah and then um uh i said oh you know i'll dab dabble into it then i I didn't really understand that you actually can be a strength coach and actually train athletes and 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 uh, make money. I, I started out in the states training um, some uh, what we call task force guys and stuff like that. Didn't really train like everyday people. Um, then I just slowly started build my uh, you know build up my clientele. But one of the change the main things that kind of changed me. I remember this trainer. He gave me a book, uh, and the guy—it was Charles Poliquin—and I read that book cover to cover like a hundred times. I think it was called the Poliquin Principles. And from I read that book, man, I was hooked. Uh, Cause I hated cardio, I hated doing jog. You know, I you know the old—I used to jog everywhere and freaking hated get up in the morning jogging. And I noticed I wouldn't lose body fat. And I start—I tried Charles Poliquin's methods. Uh, I read that book cover to cover, did everything it did, and I I noticed I got jacked, lost weight, and I felt good. And, you know, whatever it was, I said, I'm gonna, I, you know, I just started reading everything Charles had to offer. Like, I was just gobbling everything up. And eventually, lo and behold, uh, I, I was able to work for Charles and as a director of uh, and Performance in Toronto. And And now I have my own. And then I went to Layla Performance Systems. uh, And now I have this my third location for Layla Performance Systems here today. So that's pretty much my journey. And um, Charles is a huge influence on me. Obviously, as I learn more, I I implemented more of Charlie Francis's methods. Uh, Pierre Gua is a huge mentor to me. Um, And I've learned a lot. So I basically, uh, you know. Uh, used a lot of the things that I've learned from those individuals in my career and put it together and apply it to a lot of athletes I have today
0: that's that's awesome I mean I know you've developed your own system and Mm -hmm. let's let's talk uh, you know building strength and power here I've heard you use the phrase uh, before you know all things being equal the strongest athlete always wins can you can you give us a you know why is strength and power so crucial for athletes okay let's just you know let's just keep it simple if You put twelve
1: kids on one side of the field who are strong. You put twelve kids on the other side of the field who are weak, right? Who's gonna get hurt? The weak kids. For sure. Right? So I don't know why people or in my industry don't understand the emphasis of being strong. Not only strong for to help you better your sport but also for dexterity injury pre- prevention um is huge um so and there's a, another component is conditioning okay it's easy to condition somebody you know that's that's not that's that's not uh, rocket science that that's pretty easy the tough part is actually developing power acceleration speed those are qualities that are very difficult to to develop and even strength uh it's hard so all these a lot of coaches i see out there you know there's a few that i really respect and they uh they understand i we we follow the same principles They, they kill them with all this conditioning and the kids are not getting strong they're not getting any faster they're not getting more powerful they're not getting explosive so you know, you can have all the conditioning in the world, but if you you need need, need to take, uh, for instance, a hockey player it takes two two steps to the puck's hammer a slap shot home past the goalie. You need to have power to do that. Okay, um, conditioning doesn't make you more explosive. Conditioning doesn't give you a harder shot. Conditioning doesn't make you faster.
0: Right? You need power for that. That's a great insight. I just had uh, Doctor Martin Kabbalah on the. Researcher down at McMaster University, and he's highlighted some research in his book about uh, the soccer teams in in the Premier League in, in Italy, um, and how they used half the amount of actual cardiovascular training to induce the same amount of fitness at the end of the year because one group was doing more, you know, interval or sprint based work, and so they cut the training volume in half, which is just incredible. Um, mm-hmm. So, can you tell us a bit about you know what are well first off, does strength and power benefit all types of athletes? Like if we're talking about you know golfers, basketball players, baseball players. Strength and power benefits every athlete, even a marathon
1: runner. You know, um, if you are a marathon runner, and and I, I, I figure that answers your question. You still need to get strong. You need to you still need to be powerful. Because let's figure it out. Yes, you have the, you have to as a marathon runner. You you gotta log some mileage, but at what intensity are you gonna log the mileage at? You know what I mean? So um, I've heard stories of the Ethiopians doing, you know, 400 meter laps, you know, in, in um, you know, at, at 45 clips, 46 clips, you know, with rest periods of 90 to two minutes intervals, like doing 10, 12 of those in one session. So that's strength endurance. Right. Amazing work capacity at high intensities. Um, and that's basically my philosophy what i try to do is get my athletes as strong as as powerful as, as strong and as powerful as possible and we try to hold that for as long as possible during the off season and then they try to maintain that during during the season so i hope that gives you some does that help my answer that's, I answering that, that's
0: great i mean it's good to get everybody on the same page so that definitely highlights it now i know you've worked with a lot of Athletes NHL players and of course guys like P.K. Subban from the time he was in the OHL to one an all-star in the NHL Uh, Can you take us through some of your fundamentals in terms of building strength and power in terms of whether it's exercise selection or uh, sets reps etc
1: My fundamentals are pretty simple. My guys they squat they pull they press they sprint right a lot of chin-ups a lot of squats a lot of pulls and a lot of sprints, acceleration work. That's that's the foundation of our work. Um, We utilize Olympic weightlifting every day in our system, not just for power output, but for mobility. uh, Flexibility is huge. Stability as well. Um, One thing, one of our key exercises that athletes use, and they will tell you, and coaches that we've taught in our athlete activation system courses the biggest thing they take away is the Muscle Snatch 2 Overhead Squat, which is on my website if anybody wants to go and take a look at it, athleteactivation.com. There's a PDF and outlines the Muscle Snatch to Overhead s- Squat, which is one tool we use to increase mobility, stability. It's huge, the difference that we see when someone walks in the gym day one, can't even get the their bar, their shoulder, their bar over their head in the slot. The shoulder girdle is so tight, ankles are so tight, hips are tight, Um, no core strength, no stability. And at the end of the uh, summer, they're doing reps with 40 kilos with a muscle snatch. Understand, muscle snatch is not a dynamic movement. It's a we you do not jump. You're right. And so that opens the athletes up. You know, we you know, there's a sprinter uh, experience that works here that uh, just joined us and he, he's playing football and he couldn't believe how much his stride length has opened up. We're at the track and his stride length has opened up so much. He's taking—he's at every start, he's, his drive phase, the horizontal phase is just the stride. He's The amount of ground he's taking up with every step is incredible. Once he hits that, the vertical stance and starts moving, he, he's just eating up ground. And that's all due to one exercise: muscle snatch, two overhead squat. And uh, that's a great exercise that uh, somebody, uh, an athlete, uh, everyday person, will help improve mobility, flexibility, and dexterity.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how, like you said, we can use movement as a way to open up and improve mobility, flexibility. I know, you know, people are still stuck into a lot of the myths around stretching to improve mobility. Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you touch on that and the the limitations, or if there are the benefits, if there are of, of static stretching.
1: You know, I, I I don't. There's nothing. I don't have a problem with stru- static stretching. Um, it's just, I believe you know, there's a right time uh, for everything. I believe in priming your body for the work you're about to do. So, try to keep the work specific. And let's say, in terms of mobility, the craze. What drives me crazy is, and I see it all the time, you have these uh, athletes who do the, all these crazy mobility drills or classes or whatever you want to call them or movement stuff. And then they're weak in that range of motion. The muscle snatch or overhead squat or they're weak in that new range of motion they have achieved. It is that is a car accident waiting to happen that is an injury waiting to happen. You have to get strong in the new positions and you have to understand what your sport requires. How much mobility does your sport require? Because if you have too much, you could be in trouble. So for instance, let's go back to the Muscle Snatcher overhead squat. We want our athletes to open their hips, sit in a bottom low position, uh, no daylight within their hamstrings and calves or touch They're sitting deep in a squat. Now, they start with the bar, which is – or a broomstick, which weighs two pounds, not even two pounds, a pound. And they'll work all their way up to 40 kilos doing – and that's their warm-up. In our system, our athlete trains four days a week. That's their warm-up four days a week. First thing they do, they'll do some warm-up exercise on the, on the floor. They grab a bar and they'll do muscle snatch and overhead squats, warm up all the way to 40 40 kilos where they're doing reps. That's the baseline. If you cannot do that, that's a problem, okay? And then we'll start from there. Then our athletes will go into more dynamic work for snatches, power cleans, whatever, whatever it calls for the day, cleans and squats and so on and so forth. So the reason we are increasing flexibility, mobility, under load which is
0: huge yeah that's terrific i mean definitely having systems and standards like you mentioned is is so key to progressions especially with athletes um and if we shift gears a little bit and just talk about athletes that are perhaps have some significant limitations you know i work with basketball players quite a bit and ankles are really stiff they, their squat patterns are poor uh, T-spine stiffness. Are there ways to adjust some of the movements, or how would you go about? Uh, let's say you know, a basketball player came in um, with some of the uh, Olympic movements. Would uh, are there modifications, regressions, or is it more just like you said, getting back to the basics with things like the muscle snatch? Yeah, it's,
1: everything starts. I found that everything starts with the muscle snatch. It's a, it's amazing, like the the tool. Is the overhead squat. Everybody's familiar with the overhead squat. I've just taken it another step doing the muscle snatch because the work in the rotator cuffs, you see all these guys uh, all internally rotated, playing Xbox all day. Uh, and not, and do, sure. nor, not doing any posture or chain work. So what I've done is included the muscle snatch, which works the external rotators. Then they, they have to fix the bar overhead, which has to activate the stabilizers. So pull the bar overhead and stretch the tissues and the, the subscapular <sighs> rotator cuff and so on, so to hold that bar overhead. And then with that bar overhead, they have to do a squat, right? So what we do is we just slowly work that range of motion within their limitation Uh, slowly and we progressively load i've had basketball players come in uh, tight as a guitar string by the time they're they're i I mean literally can't even put a a dowel uh, 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 a pvc pipe over their head
0: yeah that sounds about right
1: (laughs) that's like literally and cannot sit in a they can't even do a go to a parallel squat their ankles are so tight You know, they they can't even get their knee over their toes. So we you have to use a wedge board to to get the pattern going and open it up. So it's it's work. It's and that's why we I do that exercise every day. Muscle snatch overhead squat every day. Repetition is the mother of all learning. To get the tissues to work, you have to repeat it over and over. And we have such a little small time with these athletes. And that's a stand that I've used, that I've I use muscle snatch to overhead squat as a as a as a mobility uh, tool, and I, and we do it every day before they start training. So the progressions will start with a PVC pipe stick, uh, wedgeboard under heels, trying to achieve the correct positions, and we just slowly work it day by day until we until they achieve the right positions and uh some basketball players are just amazed you'll just turn around one day wow they're sitting in the full squat bang the the bar is in the right slot bang 40 kilos overhead um shoulder is nice and tight stabilized locking up upper back strong lower back strong you know so it's huge
0: huge That's awesome, Clance. And when we talk about uh, obviously Olympic lifting, things like sprinting obviously comes second nature for you with your background. Um, How does how does the sprinting drip feed in in terms of your uh, the off season camps and whatnot? Is that stuff you guys do on training days? Stuff you guys do on the off days? Where does that fit in? So,
1: so typically how I uh, do, how we structure our system here, um, and I basically stumbled on this uh, through PK. And some other athletes that they just they didn't want to come back and sprint because before I would uh, would lift and then we'd come back and sprint, whatever the priorities or we'd sprint first and lift after. Right. Um, and, you know, I'd wait a couple four hours or so and so forth. But now Mondays and Tuesdays, Mondays is max uh, ex- max acceleration day. And um, so. After, let's let's take it a couple steps back so we have a structural balance phase we they come in they get tested we see what's going on the weak areas check your body fat get the supplementation going get the nutrition going um, uh, get the structural balance program going a lot of dumbbell exercise no barbell work uh, other than muscle natural overhead squat yes we do Olympic lifts right away and yes we squat right away but that's more for technique opening them up. Um, being on the ice or on the field um, open them up just lightweight getting the movements right but a lot of unilateral work with dumbbells and so on and so forth after the three or four weeks we move into our phase one of aas aas usually depending on what the athlete needs we are working with uh, 10 rep cycle six rep cycle uh, three rep cycle just to give you an idea so monday for our acceleration work after they lift we we, they take about a half an hour break and we do sprint work. Half an hour to an hour. Our sprint work, um, one of my favorites is uh, acceleration. We do 10s, 20s, and 30s. So we'll start off with a cycle of 10s, move out to 20s and 30s. Obviously, we want to tone the hamstrings and get them ready to let the hamstrings know, hey, we're doing maximal work, and we're, we, we gradually start moving moving out the distance um week by a um, couple weeks at a time three weeks at a time and so on and so forth till we're doing full out maximal 60s uh, and usually my maximal 60 work i'm uh, not usually maximal 60 meter work is on monday so the speed work looks like this monday is a uh, maximal speed work uh tuesday is speed endurance on friday is special endurance Strongman is on Wednesday, and that's how I, and then we get in some extra work on Saturday, which is hills, though they do that on their own sometimes, I'll go go with the guys and they'll do some hill work. So the guys are in tremendous condition. One thing that we do um, is we do maximal acceleration work, loaded and unloaded, which is a contrast method, method three times a week that we, it does, I don't care how tired you are and how you feel, how sore you are. So, and I find that transfer is huge. What we do vary is the, the the higher, di- the further the distance, the lower the intensities, because obviously as soon as you get out of the drive phase, the horizontal phase, you get into the vertical phase that you have a higher risk of hamstring pulls, tears, and so on and so forth. So, but Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Friday are max um, effort work with short distances. Mondays, the rest periods are longer because I'm looking for pure quality work within those distances. Tuesdays, the rest periods are shorter because I'm trying to get some endurance work in there. So I shortened the endurance work and then on fridays is special endurance so I'm basically just smashing them getting getting some good condition work more mileage and so on and so forth so that's kind of how it looks and this is all after they finish their lifting they lift first they sprint
0: wow now i know you've developed this over multiple years and uh, uh for you it's obvious but can you, you know, for the athletes or listeners in can you tell them how does this translate on the playing field whether it's hockey you know football um you know this combination especially injury prevention performance what are we seeing but the the, the the the
1: transfer is massive um because I, as i said like i i came from the traditional um i think bill belichick had a quote like if if something if, if you have a good idea just go with it you know so i came from the traditional uh background that hey you can't sprint no sled work with more than no more than 10 percent so i i did that for a while hey you can't you, can, you can't lift weights no weight lifting before you sprint because you're going to be too tight you pull uh you're going to pull something um you can't get quality work and i'll t- my guys will tell you right now that hey number one they feel way better lifting um uh, sprinting after they lift because they're 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 uh their nervous system is prime the the motor units are already activated and work and 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 just hungry for work right so it, it the and i just stumbled on it because guys didn't want to come back let's just go sprint right now and then the more research i did i noticed i wasn't the first guy who started this it this actually started with a italian um sprint coach his name was carlo victoria something like that victoria i'm, I'm probably butchering his name i apologize <laughs> but uh italian spring coach and then a guy who popularized it his name was uh he was a rice university uh sprint coach and he was very popular and he had some of the uh, top sprinters in the country and what they did was jump they would lift first jump and then um sprint and the theory behind that was you activate your higher threshold motor units. The motor units are ready; they're awake. So when they're actually doing the the the, the high velocity, uh, maximum work, they're tapping to the right fibers. You understand? So the fibers are awake, and then when you do your sprint, sprint work, they're hypertrophying the the higher th- higher threshold motor units. And man, it works wonders. Uh, everybody will tell you the 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 speed that I've seen these guys. Uh, uh, come away with was just mind-blowing and I, that's when it just hit me like wow you know this works and, and i've just been running running with that system ever then and the, the guys are they're just durable uh they're they're super conditioned uh there's a saying in the gym you know hard work makes easy work and you know when they get on a team when they go back to it's, it's nothing because they're used to just they're used to going heavy they're used to going hard And they're used to going at high outputs uh, regularly. And the thing is that you have to like hockey, football, these these are violent games, man. People are trying to knock your head off. You have to be ready for that. So if you're, you know, if you're training environments, freaking patty cakes or, you know, mobility drills all day, how are you going to withstand the velocities and the pounding in sport? You have to be ready. You you have to build that strength, that power, that dexterity, and and you got to do it in the weight room
0: hundred percent. I mean, the proof's in the pudding with you, with your athletes and the, the amazing results that you get. Um, and I know if we shift gears here a little bit, like your experience now with your daughter, um, Maya, who is now you know, a Canadian junior weightlifting champion and record holder. Um, hmm. Can you share what it's been like working with her and perhaps some of the things that maybe you're learning from her versus you teaching her in the initial stages? I I, I I just want to take two steps
1: just one step back and give you that coach's name. His name was Carlos Lopez because I like to give where credit is due. That's a Rice University uh, coach. so anybody wants to go and see what he's done. I'm just basically copying what he did. Okay, my daughter, I'll tell you right now, um, the greatest thing that ever happened to me as a strength coach was having your own child uh, basically be serious or committed to a sport and for me uh training her and seeing her commitment and then me having to really get to understand weightlifting and everything to do with programming her and training her made me a strength coach a, a, a better strength coach thousand times over like it's incredible um so uh, you know pierre wa helped me Uh, when I found out my daughter wanted to train with me she wasn't too happy where she was training blah 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 I've always been behind the scenes helping her getting her strong and so on and so forth but the technical aspect of it is is uh for Olympic weightlifting was very scary scary to me it's different you know training a uh hockey player to snatch clean and jerk but now you're you're training at Olympic weightlifter where their sport is snatch, clean, jerk. So the technical acquisition has to be perfect. Every millimeter matters, right? Every millimeter matters, which was scary for me. So when I took that on, um, it was scary, but I did. Um, We went to Russia 2014 for the uh, Junior World Championships. And Mark, what I saw in the training hall was incredible. The... What I saw—I was just in the training hall, day in, day out, all day, all night, taking notes on what I saw from the Russians, the Chinese, the Egyptians, um, the the um, the list goes on. Just the Colombians—the work capacity at high intensities was just mind blowing—and I said, "This is world class." And I just learned so much, you know, you can, you know, read all the books you want. You can, you know, train athletes, all but until you kind of experience, go, it, yeah. experience it and see these world ass, these world class athletes, it was wow. And that's when I started to connect the dots and that's how athlete activation system was born. I said and every my athletes will tell you it it just transformed since 2014 you know and uh, with the help of Pierre um, but it just basically connected dots what everything was Charles Balkan was them everything that I learned from actually another guy huge Ivan Abijayev. Ivan Abijayev saw my daughter Maya Layler and he was and he was blown away with her pretty much we sat and talked for like three four hours and he's a the smartest man I ever met in my life. I was just taking notes again, like a baby. And so, all, the accumulation of all this information helped me bring about athlete activation system and 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 learn how to, to train these athletes. And so, my daughter, point blank, is a huge reason um, why we do what we do and how we do what we do today. And because I've I was forced to learn. Um, so we're, we're she's Incredible. ready. Our goal is the 2020 Olympics. It's a pleasure training her, and she she embodies everything Leila Performance Systems is about. She works hard. Uh, she never gives up. She keeps fighting every day, and she she just puts her head down and 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 grinds. And uh, and as a father, that's all you can ask for. She's committed. She's focused, and she works hard. She doesn't take anything for granted.
0: That's incredible. I uh, I recently had Sam Walker on, who's the, uh, the Wall Street Journal Sports. Um Editor, and he's got a new book out called *The Captain Class*, and he put all these traits of elite competitors and captains. And one of them was this extreme doggedness or focus, and just doing it all the work. And so it's it's cool to see Amaya with those. Uh, those same trades now if we scale this down to just young women young athletes female athletes who are training i know there's a lot of misconceptions around women in training you know women should only lift with higher reps or women might bulk up with resistance training so before you rip the mic out of your hand with those uh, with those <laughs> myths can you, can you help clarify a few of those for the listeners yeah the funniest thing is I, you know back to
1: my again like people will look at my daughter said man how does she lift all that weight she doesn't even look jacked you know And Maya rarely goes over, she lifts heavy weight, big weight, and she rarely goes over five reps, right? So the myth that if you lift heavy, you're going to bulk up is just crazy. Um, You know, know, women do not have the testosterone profile like a man. Nowadays, as you can probably attest to, Mark, the testosterone for average male has dropped significantly. But there's no way a woman is going to look like a man unless they're taking uh, anabolics. For sure. So so what the mis-kept set conception is, uh, a lot of these females are looking at these bodybuilders. And because these bodybuilders lift weights, they think they're going to look like them. And also the misconception is a lot of times these same thing with the athletes, you know, they look at these athletes, these athletes look at these bodybuilders, do their programs and think they're going to perform like a good athlete, train like a bodybuilder, which is a huge misconception as well. So uh, even though I have nothing against bodybuilding, it's just that people take that sport and they'll look at it and they uh, obviously attach it to the weights and they feel that. You know, oh, I'm going to look like that. But you can, you know, lift weights till the cows come home. You're not going to
0: look like a man. 100%. I mean, it's one of those misnomers that's one of the most common things, especially in clinical practice. People, so many women are lifting in those higher rep ranges. Ironically, as you know, you're more likely to get hypertrophy there than you are in these heavier rep loads and yeah. uh, heavier <laughs> intensities and lower rep loads. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack there. But I'm, and, and, I'm glad- and
1: that, Yeah, so I don't mean to create, but that's exactly what we do after – you know, we'll, you know, after a structural balance phase for women, which is normally a higher rep range, lighter weights, we get women lifting as heavy as possible to look nice and toned and lean. Right. And that's it. You know, if you, if you lift a lot of, uh, lighter weight with, uh, more reps, you are going to put on more muscle. You're going to, that you, you will put, put on more muscle, but you're, you're still not going to look like a man, but you know, Heavy weights does not bulk you up. Lifting lighter weights will put on more mass. But a woman will not look like a man by lifting heavier weights. I mean lighter weights and more reps.
0: We'll insert the mic drop there for you, so that's good. <laughs> um now, can you give us a little glimpse into your uh, to your kind of daily regime here? I know you're a big coffee fan. Can you walk people through? you know what's your morning like? Um, do you start I, the day with coffee? Give us a little insight here. I, I have a I have a Starbucks right here with me right. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, my market, uh, my
1: day uh, normally starts around four four or uh, four twenty five a m what i do i get up first thing in the morning and i don't even look at my phone um i first thing i try to do is just get a quick workout in and this is not like a workout i just try to move and i actually read a beautiful a good article about yours the other day about the morning and and going outside and i actually started to implement that mark um i I, uh i find i'm an outdoors person and so what i would do you know as is. Gets warmer, I will actually get up in the morning and go outside with a with kettlebell and do some kettlebell work, do some chin ups in the park, and um, and do some skipping just to move. But it just gives me energy for the rest of the day. So I don't really consider that a workout, but I do that first thing in the morning. Then I will uh, take a shower. Usually, I, I so I call that like my power thirty. So thirty minutes of just moving. I don't I don't think about it. If I feel like doing arms, if I feel like doing legs, I do it, but I just have to move. I don't More look at my intuitive. Myself. Yeah, just intuitive. get out, do something. Um, five five thirty. I'm in my home office um, and I'm studying something. So I try to feed my brain with information. Uh, it, it could be right now, I'm on a business tip. so this book I'm reading is four uh, DX. Uh, four Disciplines of Execution, which is a huge book. Uh, it's learning, teaching me a lot. Uh, I think it's a great book. So, And I will read that uh, for half an hour or hour. And then uh, by 6.30, uh, I will, uh, if I don't have to take the kids to daycare, I will uh, answer emails, start doing some work based on my work. So it depends what I'm on. So usually an hour, I usually you read something on strength and conditioning.
0: Awesome. Well, I love the start of the day. I know you're a coffee man as well. Where, where does the coffee drip feed in there? People like to, oh, to, to geek oh, get out a little bit here about the, uh, does that coffee. come afterwards or? No,
1: sorry. So as soon as I get inside or come up from downstairs from working out, I go right to the kitchen, right? I, I get, I, I plug the kettle. I do a French press. So I, I, uh, get my French press ready. I run upstairs, shower, come back. Water's all nice and hot, throw it in there. And, uh, I, 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 uh, get my French press going. So by the time I'm ready to hit the office, by uh, say, sorry, 5.30, I have my coffee ready to go. So I have a nice big pot of French press. I usually drink
0: about two or three cups before I leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) So the synapses are firing and the brain's ready to rock and roll, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome class. Well listen, I really appreciate you carving out the time. I know you're a really busy guy. Um, So can you tell folks a little bit where where they can get more information on Laylor Performance or the Athlete Activation in your off-season program?
1: Okay. um they can go to laylerperformance.com Um that's my uh strength and conditioning business. Uh or you for my coaching certification who, for coaches who are interested in uh getting certified under athlete activation system or interning, they go to athleteactivation.com.
0: Fantastic. And we'll include those in the show notes as well so people can click on those links um as well as the exercise there that you mentioned uh in the talk. Awesome. Really appreciate you taking the time, Clance. Uh, once again, I know you're a busy guy. And thanks again for everyone else tuning in. As always, you can find all the links and a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubscom forward slash podcast. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And until next time, thanks for listening.